Dr. Geneva Speaks. Thank you for tuning in to Dr. Geneva Speaks, where you'll hear amazing leaders from across the nation and around the world. Your host, Dr. Geneva Williams, a cutting-edge, transformational leadership coach, hopes and believes this show will enlighten, entertain, and inspire you to make a difference in the world. So listen up as Dr. Geneva Speaks. Hi, everyone. This is Geneva Williams, and welcome as we take a look once again into the heads and hearts of leaders and the greater purpose they inspire in others. You know, uh, on our last show, we kicked off Women's History Month by um, talking about women, extraordinary women, and, and I shared with you that I would have a month of extraordinary, awesome, spectacular women leaders who would who would come on, on the show and we would delve into what's made them successful, what are the challenges they've had, the things that um, um, make them tick and the things that perhaps tick them off. Uh, we'd hear about what breaks their heart and what they're doing about the, their work and leadership, and all in recognition of Women's History Month. And so I'm very dis- excited about this whole month, and we have some phenomenal women who are joining us, especially tonight. So I want to ask the our listeners, uh, a couple of questions. So what does it take to lead successful turnaround of organizations? What does it take to run a $5 billion business in Detroit as that city struggles to emerge from municipal bankruptcy and its worst ongoing crisis ever? And what does it take to be a female CEO who has come up against discrimination and personal attack. Well, you know, it takes unconventional leadership, a style of leadership based on confronting reality and leading headlong through adversity. And tonight, we're going to find out more about that because my guest is Nancy Schutting, Executive Executive, Officer, Chief Executive Officer of Henry Ford Health System. Nancy joined Henry Ford Health System in 1998 as its Senior Vice President and Chief Administrative Officer and was named CEO and President of the Health System in 2003. And her career in healthcare administration spans over 30 years, 35 years of experience in a variety of senior-level executive position. Now, Nancy was appointed last year by President Obama to chair the Commission on Care, and that commission seeks to improve health care delivery and access for our military veterans. Nancy is a magnum cum laude graduate from Duke University. She received her MBA from Cornell University and holds honorary doctoral degrees from Walsh College, Eastern Michigan University, and Central Michigan University. Nancy's awards include being named four times as the top 25 women in healthcare, named eight times as the hundred as one of the most hundred most powerful people in healthcare, and she's just a phenomenal woman and she's um 
recently written a uh, phenomenal book called Unconventional Leadership, What Henry Ford and Detroit Taught Me About Reinvention and Diversity. So you can see why I'm just, I keep going on and on because I'm just so thrilled to have Nancy as my guest today. Hi, Nancy. How are you? I'm wonderful, Geneva. Thank you for that overwhelming introduction, but I'm just so pleased to be with you. Well, you know, uh, back at you because you are just uh, just a phenomenal woman. I, I want to share with my listening audience as I was thinking about and planning for this uh, special month, um, I wanted to have just really phenomenal women, and I wanted to showcase Detroit. Uh, and most of my, in fact, all of my guests up until this month have been um, from places all across the country. But for this month, I wanted to come to my hometown, and one of the people who I almost, almost immediately thought about was you, Nancy. And it was so uh, ironic because a couple of days later, I ran into you and I asked you if you would come on my show, and you immediately said yes, so I thank you for that. Oh, my pleasure. Well, you know, I want to, I definitely want to jump into your book. It's its just, I've, I, I've enjoyed reading it, and I definitely want to uh, have our listening audience hear, hear it, but, but before all that, um, Nancy, what could you share with us that perhaps I I didn't cover in your impressive uh, um, the pieces from your impressive background that I talked about? Share with us something perhaps I didn't mention. Well, you know, perhaps the most important aspect of my career is I started in healthcare when I was 15 years old, and while okay. I was in college and even after college, I took front frontline jobs, minimum wage jobs to get experience. And I will tell you, that has served me incredibly well throughout my career because I've always understood something about the people that I have the privilege to work with in healthcare, and that is that every job is important and every mm-hmm. person is important. And, you know, every job in healthcare is difficult. There's not an easy job in the bunch. And so I've mm-hmm. always really looked at my career through the eyes of all the people that I work with and, and making sure that I mm-hmm. take very good care of them. Mm, wonderful. Now, you, so you started at 15. Now, that's yeah. very young. What what was it that uh, motivated you, inspired you, got you going at 15? Well, you know, when I was young, um, my family went through a lot of difficult health care experiences, including the fact that when I was in fifth grade, my mother was really quite ill and in the hospital for a month and had four children mm-hmm. at home, um, ages, mm-hmm. you know, 2 to 12. Um and, you know, I, I began to see some of the problems, frankly, in health care. Uh, you know, we weren't even allowed to visit her in the hospital the entire time she was there. Oh, really? Yeah, in those days, children weren't allowed to visit uh, patients. And, and it was very, you know, it wasn't family-centered. Frankly, it wasn't patient-centered. And so I decided mm-hmm. at a pretty young age that I wanted to um, really try to change health care and get some experience. Mm-hmm. So I was a volunteer Mm -hmm. um, at Akron City Hospital in Akron, Ohio, where I grew up. Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, the director of volunteers gave me all these amazing opportunities to see things at a young age because she could tell I I really was motivated uh, to do Uh something in healthcare. Uh And and Uh 10 years later, I ended up going back to that same hospital and being one of the 
assistant administrators, and then I actually became a chief operating officer at that same hospital. So at the the same one, (laughs) yeah, the director of volunteers took full credit for my career, which you know she deserved. She gave me my first opportunity. Mm-hmm. Now, that first opportunity, were you what they called the candy striper? Well, you know, in those days they the decided, yeah, absolutely. I had one of those okay. type of uniforms, but they called us young adult yes. volunteers, which I thought was okay. quite sophisticated and, you know, it okay. made me feel good. All right. It, it, I asked because I was a candy striper. And oh, I, great. Yes, and one of my, you know, my mom wanted me to, you know, volunteer and, and do various things. And and so she gave me some choices, and I chose going to the hospital and being a candy striper because I thought the little uniforms they gave us were so cool. <laughs> and so, you know, they were just the coolest thing, and I wanted to wear uh, one of those uniforms, um, but I do remember the experience, uh, you know, even though oh, I thought I was going there because it was a cool thing to do and I would have fun, it really made an impact on me seeing all the things that go on in hospitals. Yeah, did you have absolutely. that same kind, what, what kinds of things did you see and experience uh, back then in a, in, at such a young age that, yeah. you know, got you to where you are today. Well, you know, it's interesting because you're absolutely right. Um, You know, I've learned for many years that every hospital experience for most people has significant impact because you see things in a hospital Mm -hmm. environment that you don't see anywhere else, really. Mm -hmm. And at that age, I saw a patient that was crashing and saw the entire team jump on the cart as they were whisking this patient from the intensive care unit to the operating room. I actually worked in the recovery room of surgery, so got to see mm. incredible things at a young age. And you know, and then, mm-hmm. of course, delivering flowers to a patient's room and how you could brighten their day. Um, mm-hmm. You know, those things really stayed with me a long time, including till mm-hmm. today. I, I still can remember mm-hmm. a lot of those experiences. Mm-hmm. And and I, uh, you mentioned that um, there was a time when uh, children or you know, young adults couldn't go in and visit parents. And and that must be just a terrifying experience because as a young child, you don't know what's going on. Right. Did that have have an impact on you uh, in terms of how you feel health care should be delivered today? Absolutely. I, you know, in fact, today and um, throughout my career, I have spent a lot of time trying to change some of the rules that exist okay. and continued to exist even when I started my healthcare career. You know, there were still a lot of restrictions on patient or family visiting for patients. And, you know, I think we've come a long way in terms of being much more patient and family centric and really thinking about, you know, the impact of someone being ill on the entire family. It isn't just the the, the patient that is affected. The whole family is. And I think often for the patient, they're as worried about their family as they are themselves when they get sick. So I think, you know, it's always had me think about things through the patient's eyes, the family's eyes, as well as the staff's eyes, as I mentioned earlier. it's You know, it's not easy to work in health care. And so you have to really take care of the people that take care of people so that they, in fact, can deliver, you know, a very high level of service and compassion and quality. Mm-hmm. 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 So, Nancy... Tell us about um, your career. Now, right now, you're CEO, president of uh, a major, ma- 
major hospital. Tell us about Henry Ford Hospital and, and the things, the healthcare organizations you've been involved with. Sure. Um, well, Henry Ford Health System actually includes five hospitals and soon to be a sixth. Um, we have Allegiance Health in Jackson, Michigan, that will be joining us very soon. Uh, but Henry Ford Hospital was the original hospital founded by Henry Ford in 1915. In fact, last year we celebrated our centennial anniversary, so we had a wonderful year remembering our history. Um, but we have, you know, as I said, several hospitals. We have over 100 sites of care. We own an insurance company. We have a 1,200-member uh, medical group, uh, much like the Mayo Clinic or Cleveland Clinic, uh, full-time salaried physicians that work for the health system, and we also have private practice physicians in our community hospitals. We have um, retail pharmacies. We have retail uh, optical shops. We, you know, eye care services. Um, you name it, uh, we do it at Henry Ford. And for me, I have been there now 18 years, and I've been CEO okay. for 13. And it has mm-hmm. been an extraordinary experience. I think it's one of the finest health systems in the country. And I've worked in many. I've worked uh, in New York. Mm-hmm. City at Memorial Sloan Kettering. I've worked at uh, the Duke Medical Center in Durham, North Carolina. I've worked in great health systems in Ohio um, and a very large Catholic health system based in Denver. Um, and so I've, I've had a lot of experiences, but my 18 years in Detroit, and people always find this a little funny because they think of Detroit as, you know, not such an attractive place, but for me it's been incredible. Mm-hmm. I've loved mm-hmm. Detroit. I love the people. I love um, making a difference in the community. And I particularly like working in the environment we have at Henry Ford and helping to make it better over all these years. Mm-hmm. So what makes Henry Ford different from well, the other? Yeah, from other, oh, yeah. Well, I'll tell yeah. you, there are several things. Um, we We call ourselves an integrated health system, meaning that we integrate both the financing, having an insurance company, which what's called the Health Alliance Plan, and then the delivery okay. system, which is which are all the hospitals, the outpatient centers, home care, hospice care, you know, uh, the full continuum of of care that we provide. And so that you know that's an unusual model. Only a, a handful of models like that exist across the country. Um, and we also, having this full-time medical group model, uh, a group practice of physicians that work together as a team. So when you have mm-hmm. a complex problem, you don't have to go out and find different physicians and different practices. They're all in one practice. And they work mm-hmm. together. They're not competing with one another. And that is a remarkable model for healthcare because, you know, they're able to do things that are harder to do, frankly, in a, in a private practice hospital because many of those okay. physicians do not work under the same roof and they don't, you know, basically collaborate with each other on a regular basis. And within our environment, uh, we do that very seamlessly, very easily. And I think as a result, the patients get great care. They're also salaried, so they're not incentivized to do more okay. than is needed. So okay. it's not like, like you have to worry that they're going to do a surgery that's not necessary or they're going to do too many tests that are not necessary because, you know, there's no financial interest in it for them. Mm-hmm. So that's mm-hmm. a very, you know, it's a very, uh, I think, special model and one that, you know, when I, regardless of whether I, I work there or not, you know, if I were really sick, that's where I'd want to go. Oh, now, you know, that's probably the best uh, quality endorsement that you can give <laughs> anything. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Because, you, know, uh, you know, I've seen a lot, yeah. and, and uh, you know, when you start 
uh, watching uh, different hospitals operate over the years and, and the way they're organized. And, you know, I think that the challenge for most patients is really understanding all these dimensions of, of health care delivery and the complexity of it. And, you know, I, I work all the time, I think, to help people, you know, know the differences and know what's important to look for mm-hmm. as they look for a physician, as they look for a hospital, you know, or a health system to really help them navigate through health care. Mm-hmm. So 18 years with this uh, phenomenal, special institution providing health care, how did you get started and how did you get to be the top dog? Well, you know, it's, I've had a very interesting career because, um, I, as I said, I started at the front line, so that's unusual mm-hmm. actually for most people that go into health care administration. Although today we're starting to see many more nurses, pharmacists, physicians become CEOs of of hospitals and health systems, which I think is a great thing. But I was not a clinician. So I I went to school in in public policy. Um, I worked during the summer and during the year in a variety of different jobs to get experience and then went to graduate school and and got my uh, graduate work, uh, an MBA in um, accounting as well as hospital administration. And I was glad I did that because having that financial background, particularly as a woman in those days, going back in the late 70s, early 80s, um, it was very important that I understood finance and accounting uh, because, as you know, health systems become big businesses. They have boards right. that are very concerned about financial performance. So as a right. woman, it was really great that I could go toe-to-toe with a chief financial officer or my board members who were really trying to trip me up, um, mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and yet I knew enough to, to really carry my own. So I I then did um, an administrative residency at Sloan Kettering in New York City, and I did a fellowship with the American Hospital Association and Blue Cross Blue Shield Association in Chicago. And in those, in those experiences, I met people that were incredible mentors to me over the course of my career, people that took an interest um, and gave me opportunities and and guidance from a career standpoint that has motivated me throughout my career to be a mentor, to be that same type of person for many, many people uh, who I think I've helped open some doors for and give opportunities to. And then I went, actually, after I did those fellowships, um, Gail Warden, who was my mentor in Chicago, who ended up being Uh my boss at Henry Ford before I became CEO, um, he recommended I go to Akron, Ohio, to work for a gentleman named Al Gilbert, who proved to be probably the most pivotal mentor in my life because at the age of 25, he brought me in with clear operational responsibilities over six departments in a, well, at that time was a 650-bed hospital. Mm-hmm. And, now, and now this was the hospital that you were talking about. Exactly, the hospital that I was a volunteer in. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. In fact, you know what was funny is after having been in New York and Chicago, um, when I called my mom and told her that I was coming back to Akron, she said, "Are you kidding me? Why are you doing that?" <laughs> <laughs> and I always tell young people, you know, it doesn't have to be the most glamorous city in the country. You have to work mm-hmm. for a great leader and somebody who you know really uh-huh. will have take an interest in you and that's what happened with mm-hmm. Al. So after a year in operations, he asked me to take a job in strategic planning, which allowed me to have access to the board of trustees and get experience at a very high level. And then okay. two years later, 
um, I he had a problem with someone he had hired to be the chief operating officer of the hospital, and you know I had people within the organization suggesting to me that I put my hat in the ring, and I said, you know, you got to be kidding! Mm-hmm. I'm twenty twenty eight years old. I've mm-hmm. had one year of operations, two years of planning, and mm-hmm. you know how could I possibly be ready for that? But they encouraged mm-hmm. me, including some pretty seasoned people. So I wrote him a letter, and uh, mm-hmm. <coughs> excuse me. And he, um, you know, that and is- I, and I've told people I wrote this letter, you know, which I could have been the end of my career because it was <laughs> taking a big chance, and told him mm-hmm. how I thought we would be a great team and could work together. And I had all kinds of ideas about how to improve the organization. So after a week of waiting, he invited me to his office, and we spent four hours talking about my ideas. And he really became convinced at that point that, you know, this might actually be a good idea. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. after a, a, he vetted me with some other folks to make sure that he hadn't lost his mind. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, And then... He actually hired me to do this job, and I was 28 years old. Everyone okay. who reported me reported to me were over the age of 40, mm-hmm. and okay. and it was at a time when the hospital was losing a million dollars a month, and it was okay. right at a time of great change in healthcare and all kinds of stress on the organization. It was 1983 when Akron had an unemployment rate of 12 percent during the recession mm-hmm. at that time. So it was definitely taking a risk, and it proved to be the best thing I could have ever done in my career. Uh, Okay. And why was that? And why was that, Nancy? Well, I mean, to have a chance like this, you know, at such a young age. And what what ended up happening is we, you know, we turned around the organization. We we actually had to make some pretty major changes in staffing levels, but we didn't lay anyone off. We worked Mm -hmm. very hard to protect our people. Through uh, mm-hmm. early retirement and reassignment, I worked with our union to make sure that we protected people's jobs at a very difficult time economically in Akron, and and we ended up having a great year that first year in the mm-hmm. job. So after that, you know, you gain the support of of the organization. You know, you're kind of off okay. and running, and uh, okay. and it proved to be just a phenomenal five years uh, in that role. Mm-hmm. And then I was recruited mm-hmm. away to go to a larger hospital in Columbus, Ohio. And uh, mm-hmm. and was there for eight years. Became CEO of a thousand bed teaching hospital, uh, Riverside Methodist mm-hmm. Hospital in Columbus, Ohio. And um, you know, as as you'll read in my book, then I ran into a buzzsaw um, mm-hmm. at that okay. point because you know, after all this wonderful success and support, um, I you know I actually knew when I was nineteen that I was gay, and. Um, okay. And I had kept that closeted all the years, um, lived, you know, a very, very reclusive private life. And then um, that became known. I was outed in Columbus by an anonymous letter that was sent to my board. And at that point, um, most of the board really supported me, but there was one individual who did not. And that person ended up becoming the chair of the board, uh, my boss mm-hmm. left, and I was the person that should have moved into the role, but that didn't happen mm-hmm. because he basically threatened, um, you know, the some of the other board leaders and said, you know, if if Nancy's promoted, I'm not going to give another dime to this place. And mm-hmm. uh, so, you know, that was it. I knew my time there was over. I I actually resigned without another job. 
and then went to another job in Philadelphia um, that, you know, at the time looked good, but it turned out that was not at all the kind of job I wanted to do because it was a lot of travel and, you know, I it wasn't what I wanted to do. And my, my mother had just passed away and it was a difficult time in my life. And mm-hmm. so I ended up going back to Akron. And uh, oh, Al Gilbert okay. was going to be retiring, and so I was in line to succeed him. And then Gail Warden called me and said, Nancy, how about if you mm-hmm. come to Henry Ford? And uh, mm-hmm. so the rest is kind of history. You know, it's really it was mm-hmm. the best move I could have made. And ironically, mm-hmm. Al and Gail were classmates together in graduate school at the University of Michigan. Okay. So... As it turned out, you know, um, I disappointed one of my mentors by leaving, and then I I uh, made my other mentor very happy by joining him at Henry Ford. And I love both of these people. I mean, they're just the mm-hmm. best, and I'm so fortunate mm-hmm. that I had them in my life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you think that you would have um, found your way to this kind of success that you've had without the uh, disappointments that you had in, um, was it Columbus? Yeah. Where, uh, yeah, t- tell, us, tell us a little bit about that. No, that I, I don't. very you disappointing know, for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, you know, Geneva, I, I think that disappointments in life are probably what, you know, build you the most in terms of both character and strength, uh, you know, Obviously, sometimes you can't overcome things. Um, you know, mm-hmm. people face life dif- disappointments, and sometimes they're very difficult to overcome. But in mm-hmm. my case, it was clearly um, what made me stronger and what made me more determined um, to overcome this and mm-hmm. and also to, mm-hmm. to really pay attention to the things that were important in my life, um, you know, okay. to make decisions about who I wanted to work with um, and... Mm-hmm and the kind of organization I wanted to be a part of. Because it's clear that not all organizations are the same, and, you know, cultures are different, values are different in leadership. And in many ways, I feel that each step of that journey made me a better leader because I had more conviction about what was important to people, the environment that I wanted to create as a leader, and how I wanted to support all people in the organization. You know, diversity and inclusion became very, very meaningful to me. And I wanted to make sure that no one was left out and that opportunity was available to all. And in fact, I began to understand that my primary role as a leader was to create a great environment for every person to reach their full potential. And, you know, that's the kind of thing that keeps you getting up every day and excited about your work. Uh, When you get to work with people and really help them develop their talents and make sure that we're doing everything we can for our patients and the people we serve in the community. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Just for now, and, and do I remember in reading your book that you um, started out wanting to be a physician? Do I remember that? I did. Is that right? I did. And in fact, you know, <laughs> it's, it's always funny, too, that there's always a silver lining in every everything that perhaps doesn't work out as you originally planned. And clearly for me, you know, I found my way into a just a, a wonderful career um, that, again, has had bumps in the road and challenges, but, you know, at the end of the day, I'm so pleased I've had the chance to, to work in healthcare. But uh, originally mm-hmm. I did want to be a physician, and um, I was a chemistry major in college. I always loved math and science. 
And uh-huh. then uh, when I was at Duke, I volunteered to uh, spend time in the emergency department as part of our pre-med society opportunity and discovered that I, you know, every time I went there, I practically passed out. Um, I, I could not stand it. I mean, it was just, uh, you know, the sight of blood and, and uh, you know, just the environment made me queasy. And I thought, uh-huh. I, don't, I don't think this is it. But, you know, ironically, <laughs> later in my life, I've gotten actually much more comfortable with all that. But um, okay. but I, I still think, you know, there's always a reason why things direct you in a new new way. And Mm-hmm. And clearly, mm-hmm. um, finding another career within healthcare was my goal, and I was lucky enough to find healthcare administration. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I, I remember reading it, and I, I laughed, um, you know, and I because I think in in the book you described about uh, again how you know you wanted to be a doctor, but you know the sight of blood kind of really made you queasy, but you pivoted. To, yeah. You still wanted to be in healthcare, but you went another way. You discovered another way that you could still fulfill that dream. And, and just as you've related some of these um, instances in, in your career, you, you seem to have a, an incredible ability to, uh, to be able to pivot, to be able to um, say, okay, here's here's this struggle, here's this challenge, here's this disappointment, failure. But I can, what can I learn from it? And then let me go another way. Am I am I hearing that right? Yeah, because, I, you know, I, think I think that's, that's an important part that, of leadership. Yeah, I think it's vital, and I don't know too many people who you know don't have these challenges. I you know I. I work with a lot of young people, and I talk a lot about that, you know, the resilience that's required for anyone Mm -hmm. seeking, you know, leadership roles or, frankly, just getting through life. I mean, you have to be resilient. You have to have courage. Um, You know, life throws a lot of things at you, and we all face different challenges, but I think understanding that, you know, when you go through that and you pick yourself up and you say, okay, let's find another path, and, and it really is mm-hmm. what leaders do all the time. O- often strategies don't mm-hmm. work perfectly, so you've got to figure out if that strategy doesn't work, let's try it another way. You know, and and I think that's mm-hmm. important mm-hmm. when you lead an organization through the dynamic time, certainly that Detroit has gone through. You know, you have to basically convince a lot of people. You know that that they have to believe in the path that you're taking. Um, and I think a lot of times, if you don't believe in yourself. It's very hard to convince others that you know that they can move in this direction. So, a lot of what I learned through those experiences was how to believe in myself and how to mm. recognize mm. that um, you know I could do something else. Even when people told me along the way, you know that you can't do this. You know, I had people mm-hmm. tell me mm-hmm. as a woman you can't do this, or you know why mm-hmm. would you want to ever do this? I mean, there are always people that want to tell you what you can't do, not what you can do. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Well, is that what led you to um, write your book, Unconventional Leadership? You know, I think it's it really a, is. I yeah. I never thought I'd write a book. I mean, this is another okay. one of those situations where I thought, really, am I going to do this? And But I had enough people over the years tell me that how I thought about things and, you know, the things that I've dealt with in my life were important stories to tell. 
and that mm-hmm. you know the the way I've approached things and how I've really t- treated people over the years, the focus on people, the desire to listen to people that sometimes can you know be the ones that no one else wants to listen to. Um, mm-hmm. You know that that's important, and so that's why I decided to do it. I you know in fact if my mother were still alive she could not believe that i wrote this book because my mom was an english teacher and when wow. i was in in elementary school um she used to check out all my teachers to make sure that you know mm-hmm. i was learning properly and all of her kids were okay and okay so i used to come home from school and there would my teacher be sitting in our our living room um <laughs> and i'm like what's she doing here this is terrible <laughs> But my mom was wanting to make sure I, I learned properly. So when I was, I think, in like fifth or sixth grade, it was um, shortly after she'd been ill, she did not think I was writing well at all. So she made me write mm-hmm. book reports in, in, on my summer vacation, which was torture. Uh-oh. And uh-huh. uh, so here I am today writing a book, and my mother was the English person. She was the one that was the writer, and, and I, I think maybe somehow she had some influence over me to do this. But, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So how did, how did you um, – well, I want to get into the book because it is just – you know, one of the things I um, really liked about the book was it, it had a very, um, a very relaxed uh, yet – powerful style to it. I mean, it's just a very straightforward um, journey. I I really felt like I was going through a journey with you. Uh, So, Thank you for that. I appreciate that. Yeah, I, I mean, I really did. Tell us, well, first of all, what is unconventional leadership? I mean, how do you define that as as a leadership style? What does it look like? What does unconventional leadership mean? Well, to me, it it meant that I don't really follow the pack. Um, Throughout my life, I've I've been kind of unconventional. You know, I I didn't fit in as neatly as some people have. You know, I, I was always the unusual person in the room. Um, you know, whether it was as a woman uh, when I started my career, even when I came to Henry Ford, you know, in our senior leadership team, there were only two women when I came. Today there are 16. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, and I always thought differently than other people. I didn't agree with some of the conventional thinking around business and, and uh, you know, how you how you think about your work, what what your purpose is in, in terms of okay. leadership. So, you know, I'll give you an example. You know, when I came to Henry mm-hmm. Ford, uh, the folks in Human Resources had a book there. It was called Head And, okay. you know, in, in Detroit, apparently headcount is a pretty traditional way of talking about your people. And mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I thought, headcount? What are we talking about, mm-hmm. cattle or sheep or I don't know, you know. I mean, that. so I mm-hmm. told the folks in HR, I said, I don't want to ever see that word again. Because, you know, we're not talking about that. You know, a place of work and a place where you take care of people in healthcare is so important. And it can't be, you know, corporatized or made to be like traditional business. It has to be different. And I think leadership in every organization needs to focus more on their people. You know, the disruptors out there, how to how to create a culture of, of innovation and saying yes to people and helping them learn and grow. 
um, to me, you know, it's kind of what I feel like I've been put on this earth to do from a leadership standpoint. Because, you know, when you do that, you know, it's amazing what happens. It's amazing how the organization responds to that and how you accomplish things that seem impossible. And there are a lot of disruptors in organizations. I happen to love disruptors, um, and I embrace them, and I listen to them, and I try to nurture and support them and protect them sometimes from the traditional kind of thinking that will try to bash them or put them down in some way. Um, I've hired unusual people throughout my career, and and probably the one that that gets the most attention at Henry Ford is I hired a a hotel guy to run our brand-new hospital that we were building a few years ago because I Mm. felt he had a very different vision of health care, and he he thought about health and wellness in a, in a very new and, and exciting way. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so I hired a guy from the Ritz-Carlton who had never run a hospital to be our first ah. CEO of Henry Ford West Bloomfield Hospital. And the hospital was a has been an incredible success because of his vision and his ability to hire great people and create a wonderful mm-hmm. environment for them to work in. And he mm-hmm. learned a lot, and you know, it's gone on to stay in healthcare in his career after after he was with us. So, um, I think it's, you know, it's it's who I am. Being somewhat unconventional, being a gay woman leader is is not exactly the norm. And and I also mm-hmm. think it's really about you know my leadership approach, how I think about things, how I try to transform things that often people have given up on. Um, and I just mm-hmm. don't believe in giving up. Mhm. Mhm. So, if you were to um, coach or give some advice to a uh, young leader uh, coming into the field, let's say of healthcare, mm-hmm. would you encourage them to be an unconventional leader? Does it work for everyone, or does it work for those who might have that particular? Um, experience or personality does it work for everyone I, you know i don't i'm not sure it works for everyone but i also think that uh people shouldn't be afraid to be different um okay. i you know it's 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 much easier for me at this age in in my life and in this time in my career to to be more i guess reflective of those unconventional aspects if you had asked me when i was in my 20s I probably mm-hmm. wouldn't have thought of myself that way. Um, mm-hmm. I just had, okay. you know, I just had certain instincts about what I thought was right, what I mm-hmm. thought should mm-hmm. happen, and I wasn't afraid to pursue those ideas. Um, but mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, it's really not being afraid to be different from other people or think differently, Um because it's okay. In fact, those, you know, that to me, it's the richness that that you can bring. You know, sometimes it's how you do it, though. I think often, you know, my mom used to say to me, Nancy, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. And I think that's so Mm -hmm. true. I think tone um, and the approach and the style matters. And I think sometimes I can get away with things that others can't because of my demeanor. And it's how I approach things and how I respect all people, even if I disagree with them. And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't make things personal. I try very hard to not make things personal. I try to stay really focused on the ideas and the content and the 
Um, the way in which you know I think through things, as opposed to attacking people, I don't do that. Um, and you know, just really try to stay um, above that, which I think helps. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I, um, you know, one of the uh, chapters in your book talks about the title of it is "Find the Disruptors mm-hmm. in Your Organization and Listen to Them." What does that mean? Why do we want to listen to people who are creating havoc within our organization? (laughs) Well, often because they have tremendous passion. Um, You know, when when you have people that are taking the time and energy to challenge things and sometimes not agree or be disruptive, I'm not talking about people that are just rude or, you know, insensitive to other people. I'm talking about people that have uh, different ideas and, you know, aren't satisfied with with staying with, you know, again, the sort of conventional uh, approaches or thinking. So, you know, it it really does make a difference when you listen to people. And and actually, Al Gilbert was my teacher on this because I would remember when we'd hear about these problem employees and Al wanted to talk to them. And he'd invite them Mm -hmm. to his office and he'd sit and listen Mm -hmm. to them and learn things about problems in the organization that others were trying to sort of, you know, put under, uh, brush under the rug. And, you know, when you when you listen to people who are challenging the status quo or, or trying to make change and having no success, it allows others to do the same, and it opens the organization up, and it really reduces the fear factor that often exists in many organizations where people are afraid to speak up. And mm-hmm. I want people to speak up. You know, I, I want them to feel like they can call me or email me or tell me something, and I will listen to them. And I'll tell you, I've learned more about things that I needed to know about from that approach than I would have otherwise. And so I, I think that's what I always try to do. Plus, you know, a lot of, of disruptive people, if you will, are often the innovators. Um, if you think back on, you know, some of the famous people in our country, you know, um, I mean, Martin Luther King, I mean, although he was not a disruptive personality, he was disrupting, um, you know, people like Henry Ford. I mean, you know, you think he failed until he was in his mid-40s, um, and he was not a person that was easy to get along with. So mm-hmm. I think that, you know, many times it is uh, it is these types of personalities that often give up. I've watched so many employees over the years give up on an organization too soon because no one was listening to them. And then they go off and do great things, and they could have done great things in the organization, but they just gave up. They said, I, you know, nobody's mm-hmm. listening to me here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Were there special um, opportunities or strategies that you used to, to try to hear from everyone, including those that were our quote-unquote disruptors? Well, I, you know, part of it for me over the years has been getting to know as many people as I can. I I have okay. a um I've had a very clear intentional strategy to spend time with people at all levels of the organization. You know, even today, um I every chance I get, I go to the either the hospital cafeteria at Henry Ford Hospital or our cafeteria in our corporate office and sit with people I don't know and get okay. to know them, meet them and listen to them. Mm-hmm and learn from mm-hmm. them, and it's been fun. I mean, I, I get to know a lot of great things about the organization with that approach 
to leadership. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I do the same thing, you know, with lots of different ways that, you know, I have these little approaches of just walking through the hall, talking to people, going in people's offices, um, trying to, to make sure that every chance I get, I'm interacting with people, learning from people. And when I do that, I you know, I find these just jewels of people, you know, that often lead to some new strategy for the for the health system. I remember years ago we had a uh, assistant parking supervisor at um, uh, Riverside Methodist Hospital. Uh, his name is Zach Neongesa. He's from Africa. And it turns out, you know, I, I met this gentleman, started talking with him, you know, learned about him. He had a Ph.D. and was our assistant parking supervisor. So as I got to know him, I said, Zach, what are you doing? We We need to find a better job for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and and we did. He ended up being our director of diversity, and I'm still in touch with him mm-hmm. and, after all these mm-hmm. years. He's he's a marvelous person. He's an academic. He teaches at the college level, and uh, but you know, I we found a much better way to use his talents at Henry Ford because you know, again, getting out and talking with people and learning about them, uh, you find that there's just amazing talent that's really underutilized uh, in many cases, and and we need to always be looking for those opportunities. Mm-hmm. So every day you're just looking for it, reaching for it, and talking to people, and just up close and personal. Yes, and then I also yes. they all know they can email me because I I uh-huh. respond to all my emails personally. Mm-hmm. And okay. fortunately, I'm a very fast typist, so that helps. <laughs> but uh, but you know, people know that they can always email me, and I'll try to find the answer or or help them with a problem and. And that creates this incredible environment and openness as well, which which I really think has made a, a big difference in the, the success of Henry Ford over the years. Mm-hmm. Just phenomenal. And, again, you are CEO of a $5 billion organization. I mean, again, I just think it's it's a lesson for all to learn and to hear, you know, that no matter – what position you in, you're in, whatever kind of organization you're running, if you're the leader, if you're the top, um, it it really makes a difference to have that personal touch and that personal uh, communication. You do it so well. So, to for those of you who just may be joining in, you're listening to Dr. Geneva speaks, and we're looking into the heads and hearts of of great leaders and this Women's History Month where we're talking to awesome uh, women. And my guest is Nancy Slipping, who's the CEO, president of Henry Ford Health System in Detroit, uh, a $5 billion uh, phenomenal quality high-care uh, hospital system in the metropolitan area, and I'm delighted. And we've been talking about her book uh, and lessons and strategies and life experiences that she's had. Her book, Unconventional Leadership. Nancy, uh, another chapter in your book that I'd, I'd like you to to share a little bit of insight um, uh, to, because we want to. We also want to encourage everyone to to purchase it. To to buy it. I got it as an ebook uh download. I was just so uh pleased to do that. Um in one of your chapters, the title is Detroit Partner for Renewal. 
what does that mean? Because, you know, many people, and there may be some in our listening audience across the country, when they hear Detroit, they get this image of perhaps um, chaos, uh, the bankruptcies, failing this, not so good that. Um, But you position Detroit as a partner for renewal. Tell us about that. Well, you know, when I came to Detroit 18 years ago, I discovered um, a city that I just fell in love with. And I love the people. I loved uh, the potential to make a difference in Detroit. And I I love the fact that Detroit really embraced me as a leader very quickly, which was not true Mm -hmm. in other cities I'd lived in. And, you know, I think Detroiters are people that if if they believe you're sincere and authentic in your commitment to the city, there is nothing you cannot get involved with. And, I mean, and that has been true with me. I've had enormous opportunity to participate in the life of the community and to help change the mindset of many about what I thought the potential in Detroit was. Even before a lot of the improvements that we've seen in the last few years started, you know, I convinced our board at Henry Ford that we were going to invest heavily in Detroit. And at a time when, you know, when I arrived there, there were people that, frankly, in the corporate office who said, you know, our future is in the suburbs. We're not investing in Detroit. And I'm like, why do you think that? It is so essential that we invest. So we put over $350 million into our downtown campus. Um, Mm -hmm. We have seen patients literally coming from all over the world because of the quality of the programs, and now the facilities you know, better match that because for a long time we were under-investing in the city, and, uh, and it really showed. You know, we didn't have the kind of facilities that y- you would expect in a, in a top-quality um, tertiary, quaternary academic medical center like Henry Ford Hospital. So you know, I, I, and I started talking about my pride in being in Detroit and how I, I thought it was the best place I'd ever lived. and. Uh-huh that I thought we had a future. And um, and I really got sick of hearing from people in the suburbs that just trashed Detroit, which was terrible. And we really needed to change that mindset. So as I began working with colleagues um, within the city, you know, I was partnering with um, competitors, um, including, you know, the Detroit Medical Center and and the St. John uh, Medical Center, uh, who were in Detroit, and, and I brought them together and we, we said, you know, we're going to work together. We're going to figure out ways to focus on the things we have common, in common and make the community better. So we worked on things like infant mortality work, and we worked uh, with the Detroit mm-hmm. Medical Center and Wayne State University to actually incentivize our employees to buy homes in Detroit and, and to rent apartments. And so we gave them financial incentives to do that. And we have a program called Live Midtown. And then we began mm-hmm. targeting 300 acres south of our main campus and and really looked at how we could make that neighborhood better, um, including you know plans for affordable housing. We have a brand-new large uh, distribution center from Cardinal Health that has brought 150 new jobs to the city. And we're, we're also working on you know, other plans for green spaces and partnering with community organizations to help support their efforts to beautify the area. Um, so there's just so many things that, that can be done. And you know, it depends on how you look at your role. If you're running a health system and you, you don't think about the community in everything you do, I think you're missing uh, really the purpose of that health system because we're there to serve the community and we should be partnering with as many organizations as possible to further the interests of everyone who lives and works in Detroit. So 
it's it's really been fun, and uh, you know I'm so proud of of what we've done. Our our team just loves it. You know, we get such enthusiasm from our employees because of our commitment to the community. Mm-hmm. And and you know your 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 view your well, it's really not your view. It's just your whole leadership style and what you've decided to do with your role because you know that's not a decision that every leader makes. Right. That is to to um, that the the work that you do every day in carrying out the mission organization, in fact, does intertwine with what you do in and for the community and with the community. Um, so you, you've decided you exemplify that you put that into practice uh, as a leader. Um, how can others follow what you do, what would be the one or two strategies or tips you would give to leaders who are coming along? Well, I think the most important thing is to get involved. I, You know, what okay. I've learned when I was in my 20s was that, you know, I joined board kind of activities and different community-based uh, work at a young age. And it probably was okay. much like right. you said your mother wanted you to volunteer. Well, that's when you right. start volunteering, um, I think mm-hmm. you get you kind of catch the bug, and That's and right. you you tend to want to do more of it um, because you mm-hmm. meet some interesting mm-hmm. people, you learn a lot about the community. Um, you know, there are a lot of uh, really good leadership programs in communities today. I mean, there's Leadership Detroit. I was part of Leadership mm-hmm. Akron uh, many many years ago, and. And, mm-hmm. you know, these types of leadership programs people should really seek out and try to get involved with because it exposes you to so much of the community and it opens doors and creates a network that then allows you to, to have the contacts that, you know, people will call you and say, you know, would you be willing to do this? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. If you don't create that mm-hmm. network and if you don't reach out and get involved, I don't think it happens, um, you know, real easily. So mm-hmm. I think that's very important. Mm-hmm. So getting involved and volunteering not only is a good thing to do, it also is a a, a great uh, strategic move in terms of your career and advancing your career. Definitely. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, Nancy, in, in our few minutes, oh, the time is just flying by, but in our last few minutes, I, I noticed that your last chapter is uh, Face the Future. Um, and, and in that chapter, I know you talk about uh, the future of the hospital, the future, your future, things you want to do. So I, I'd like you to share with us what do you see, what's the future like for, for Nancy? I mean, if, if what's what's your chapter and, and what do you want your legacy to be? Well, I made the decision um, about two years ago or two to three years ago that I was going to retire Um this year in in 2016, and so at that time I began working with my board um, about the transition plan at Henry Ford. I wanted it to be a smooth and effective transition because oftentimes you know leadership um, succession and transitions don't always go very well. And so I was fortunate enough to meet a gentleman, Wright Lassiter the third, uh, at a conference mm-hmm. about uh, almost uh, well getting close to two years ago now, and. Actually, I, almost three years ago now, and Wright and I uh-huh. uh, met, and he was on a panel with me, and he, I was just so impressed with this guy. And 
So mm-hmm. after the the session, I went and Googled him, of course, which is what we always do these days to mm-hmm. find out more about yeah. him. And I was so uh-huh. impressed. He was named one of the top 25 minority executives in healthcare care uh, that year. He was written mm-hmm. up by Fast Company Magazine as a turnaround guy and, you know, really effective in his work uh, at Alameda Health System out in California, in Oakland, California. So I, this is one of those moments where I, you know, decided I'm going to take a risk, and I, I called him, and I said, right, you know, I'm going to, I'm working with our board on succession planning for the CEO of the Henry Ford Health System, and I'm really interested in getting to know you. Um, and I'm wondering if you'd have any interest in, you know, just getting to know one another and see if this might be down the road an opportunity that you'd want to consider. And so we began basically a year-long process um, of chatting and talking. And, of course, he was in Mm -hmm. the Bay Area of California, and coming to Detroit was not exactly what his wife thought was, you know, a place with winter and and snow and all those things that he would even agree to. But uh, over that time, we we won him over, we won his wife over, and and the board and our leadership team felt that he was indeed uh, a remarkable leader so Wright joined us about a, uh, a little over a year ago now, and he mm-hmm. will be succeeding me at the end of this year. And and at the time, you know, I we announced this again. People thought I'd kind of lost my mind. You know, what are you doing? This is very unconventional that you would yes. go out and seek out a person as opposed to having the traditional search process. But exactly. I knew that, mm-hmm. that there, you know, there was not a ton of people who could run a health system like Henry Ford, and mm-hmm. I wanted a person that was committed to our community. I wanted a person who had had courageous leadership, had turned around, uh, you know, uh, what had been a, a economically failing organization when he joined. Um, so I saw in him the qualities that I thought, you know, were very important. Um, and it's been a joy, really, uh, getting to oh, know Wright. wonderful. And yes, he's going to do a terrific job at Henry Ford when I leave. Yeah. And and again, another unconventional move. <laughs> and yes, very much so. And so for you, are you going to continue to, we only have about, oh, about 60 seconds left, but are you going to um, write a, what are you going to do? You're going to write well, another I'm, book? Well, I'm looking, yeah, I'm looking forward to continuing to serve on a variety of different boards. I'm okay. looking forward to some um, quality time, uh, taking care of myself a little better, uh, you know, a little okay. more fitness and uh, outdoor Great. adventures, and and looking forward to being with family. I have a 93-year-old dad oh. and, and have Ooh. two children, and, you know, I just want to spend more time with, with my family, my, my partner Pam and, and, you know, our whole family. So it'll be great. Oh, that's, that's wonderful. And I know you're... You're you're be busy with uh, chairing the commission on care, which you were appointed to by President Obama, and so we wish you best of luck. In, Thank in, you so in much. That and and just everything, Nancy. You've just been an inspiration and just a delight to to know and watch and learn from and and uh, your book, Unconventional Leadership what Henry Ford in Detroit taught me about reinvention and diversity. I just want to just encourage everyone to go out and get that book because, oh, you know, in, you. in chapter after chapter, the strategies are phenomenal. Nancy Slipton, our guest, CEO, Henry Ford Hospital. Thanks for tuning in Thank to you. Dr. Geneva Speaks. 
Dr. Geneva Williams, an expert facilitator and leadership coach, lecturer, and keynote speaker. For more information on Dr. Geneva, visit her online at www.drgenevaspeaks.com. That's drgenevaspeaks.com.